0: Well, it's um, great to be here. Great to be in this venue. I preached um, at Verwood, and I preached at Wimbledon. I never got an invite to Fordingbridge. Um, and, uh, but now those who are normally there are going to be forced to listen to me. But it's great to be here, and to, what's happening amongst you is so exciting. I think you're pioneering together a way to more effectively reach rural communities. And it is pioneering. I don't know of another model. I've seen and been involved in the church in the city where we've done multi-site. Um, but, but this has got real potential to be a model for others. So it's very exciting. But I guess and know it must mean lots of change as well. And in the midst of excitement and change, it's easy to lose focus. So this morning I want to remind you who you are and what you're called to be. And uh, I wonder how you would finish a sentence in as few words as possible, which started, a church is, a church is. That's quite a challenge in a short sentence to define what a church is. And in fact, the Bible never tries to do that. Um, They reckon there's over a hundred different images of what God's people are. And the Bible, you know, doesn't give us a sentence definition. Um, So it's a bit crazy, isn't it, really, for me to try and do that. But I've got it in three words. A church is a spirit-filled community on mission. And I want to remind you that's who you are in God, but it's also what God's called you to be because it's easy to lose focus. So a church is. I'm not going to do it in order. So I'm going to. A church is a community. It's not an event. It's not a place to you go to on a Sunday. It is a community. It's not a supermarket. There was a stage in a season of life where Val and I would do the supermarket shopping together. You know, it's one of one of laying my life down for my wife. I was the chief trolley pusher. <laughs> and we used to go on the same day about the same time. And I got to realise that there were some other people that turned up on the same day about the same time. And you'd get to know them. You'd say, oh, I, think I saw them last week. <laughs> and then as you're pushing the trolley around, you might know, bump into them with your trolleys, and you nod, and you have that look that husbands, I often found, we looked at each other and went, here we are again. <laughs> And then you'd you know, pay your money, you go to your car, you load up the car and you see them. And as time went by, there was like a familiarity. You'd smile. Uh, you might even say hi. As they drove out, they might wave as a sort of recognition. But there was no real relationship. There was familiarity. Do you know church can be like that? And people can treat church like that. I mean, if you went to the supermarket... The next time, and they said, "Would you mind, you like, handing out the baskets at the door, or could you help stack the shelves?" You think, "Well, that's, I didn't. That's what I, I didn't come to do that." And you certainly, I'm not going to sit at the till and take the money. I'm not, mind you. There's not many people doing that nowadays. But that's like that's not what I come. I come to get something, and I'm willing to pay some money to get that something, and then I go. Some churches are a bit like that. Some people treat church like that. We come, we take what's on offer. We might give some money to thank you for the service of what you've done for me. But there's no more depth of relationship or commitment. Church is not supposed to be a supermarket. You are not a supermarket. You are supposed to be a community and you are a community. A church is not just individuals who love Jesus and follow him and come to the same building on a Sunday. It's a special type of community. A community where we do treat each other as brothers and sisters and we're committed in love. Jesus said this, The world will know that you are my disciples because you love one another. That you care for one another, that you encourage one another, that you strengthen one another, and having been in a multi-site church myself, I know there are particular challenges when you meet on different sites. I'm sure it doesn't happen with you, but you can get a bit competitive. Oh, why we go to? I think we're a bit better. Or um, you can the opposite. You can be a bit feeling a bit inferior. And, you know, well, I'm, we're not try, you know, treated as well as the other lot. I mean, that happens in families, doesn't it? I had two daughters. They were always saying, you're not being fair. That can happen amongst even God's people, but that's not the way it's supposed to be. You have some unique opportunities and privileges in being multi-site. You have some unique challenges. I want to remind you, you are one family. You're all one family and it's great when you all come together. This morning worship was so exciting. <laughs> it was a real blessing to me. And the unity of God's people is not just like, it's nice, isn't it? It is a particular calling because it demonstrates that the God of the universe is doing something in the world today. In um, Ephesians. Paul writes this, and I'm just going to pray. See, this is Ephesians 1, verses 9 and 10, and I'm just going to take out the key phrases because he does go on a bit, okay? <laughs> the, Paul says, This is the mystery. God has made known the mystery of his will. That is, what he has been doing and what his purpose is and what he's going to do. This is the mystery of his will to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth in Christ. That's what God is doing in the chaos of this world. He's bringing unity. That's what, and one day he would do that under the headship of Christ. But in chapter 3 of Ephesians and verse 10, Paul says this wonderful thing. And this is the message translation because it, it just brings it out beautifully. Through followers of Jesus... Yeah, through followers of Jesus like yourselves, gathered in churches, this extraordinary plan of God to bring all things together, this extraordinary plan of God is becoming known and talked about even among the angels. The world's supposed to look at what God does in broken, awkward people like us and builds us into a family. That is different to any other family. And people would say, I can believe that God's doing that in the world because I see he's already started to do it in little communities of his people. So my encouragement to you would be, why don't you aim to give the angels something to talk about when they look from heaven Look at New Life Church. It's a demonstration of the love of God and the purposes of God. And if the angels are talking about it, then there'll be people in the world that are talking about it. In a broken, fractured world, they need not just clever words. They need a demonstration that a new way of living is possible. You are called to be a community. So I think that the challenge for some of you might be to step in that if there's any truth in the image of you treating church like a supermarket, you put down your trolley and you step in, that you commit to, that you get very involved in the life of this church or in another church. That's what church is supposed to be, a committed group of people, committed to each other and committed to God. And if you're already like in, for some of you it will be a call to step up Because multi-site is not an easier way of doing church. It's more complex. It's more demanding. I think it can be far more rewarding. But is there an area where you could step up, take more responsibility so that what you're doing together can flourish and grow? You're called to be a special sort of community, but a community that has a particular mission. What comes to your mind when you hear the word mission? For some of us, it's mission impossible. For some of it, it's like tin shacks in country places, like a little mission hall. I've I've worshipped in places like that. Or it might be overseas Christian work, and that's mission. But mission is really your answer to the question, what on earth are we supposed to be doing? What is God asking you to do? As you read through the Bible, you get a number of different answers that sort of complement and build on each other. So if you went to Adam and Eve and said, what's God asked you to do? And they would have a very clear answer, wouldn't they? They would say, he told us to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over everything that moves on the earth. That's our mission. And then one of the, whoever said that, whether it was Adam or Eve, the other one would pipe in, oh, he also said we're supposed to work in the garden and take care of it that's their mission that's what they were supposed to do and if you break that down and think you know in those short phrases there's a whole wealth of meaning what is that they were as bearers of god's image to take god's care of god's creation on god's behalf to rule it in such a way to bring out its full potential Because it was a bit like Blue Peter. I don't know if that still happens. I don't watch that program. But when I was young, there was Blue Peter. And when my girls were young, there was Blue Peter. And I'd watch it. And they would have this thing where they would make things. Usually, it was out of a cereal packet and a toilet roll, as far as I can remember. And you would make a castle or a tower or a rocket. And they would tell you how to do it. But also, they would always go, and here's one I did earlier. And you would think. Well, I've, we've done that. It doesn't look like anything like that. I know that. <laughs> Here's one I did earlier. Well, that's what, in a sense, God did with Adam and Eve. He said, This is your mission to go out through your multiple descendants, as your you're fruitful and multiply. You're going to go and take care of the world. But what it should look like is like the garden. This is one I prepared earlier. You see what that's like? The rest of the world is good, He created it good. But it wasn't it bringing out its full potential yet. He gave Adam and Eve that job to do. And God's people are still supposed to do that. We're supposed to bring out out the beauty of creation and the potential in people. That's how it's supposed to work. And it means churches should celebrate creativity and support each other in our daily lives. Now, tragically, they thought they knew better and they rebelled against God's loving care. And that rebellion has continued through the ages, through all of their descendants, down to today. And that original harmony and beauty has been disrupted and distorted. All human relationships were significantly distorted by that act of continuing rebellion. So the relationship with God, peace with God, was gone. Their relationship with others knew conflict. Their being at ease with themselves was no longer there. They were embarrassed and ashamed. And even creation itself was thrown out of kilter because the rebellion of the creatures that were made to be the very height and peak of creation. So although this mission that Adam and Eve had continues, there was more that needs to be done. So, if we just jump to the disciples just after they've heard Sermon on the Mount and said, give us, give us it. What, what, you know, in essence, what did Jesus call you to be and give, call you to do? I would hate to do that after most of my sermons. Like, I don't know what he was talking about. But I imagine... If you'd asked those disciples, they could have said, he said we should be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And salt, in their culture, was used as a preservative. It stopped things getting worse. It was used a bit sometimes in the healing process, like, like with wounds, you know, you would put salt water in it to cleanse it out. And it was, like today, used to add flavour. And that's what God's peoples are supposed to do. We're supposed to stop the rot you know our culture and our creation is decaying and we're supposed to stop the rot, we're supposed to be salt and we're supposed to bring healing and we're supposed to add flavour it's like there's some Christians here we're going to have more fun we're going to get more done, it's going to be better because there's Christians here You know, that's not what always people think. There's a Christian here. But you're supposed to be sought. Distinctively different, but making a difference to other people. And we're supposed to be a light to the world. That is, we pierce the darkness. But also, we show people the way. Not out of arrogance, but that God is doing so much for us. This is the way to live. That in all our brokenness, there's something incredible happening. And come, come, you can find it too. We're supposed to be a light to the world. Now, if you've gone to those same disciples a bit later, like after Jesus had died and risen, and caught them just after he ascended to heaven and said, did he give you any final instructions? And we go, oh, yeah. What did he say? They're going to all the world and make disciples. Baptising them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. And teaching them all that I command you to do. That's what we're supposed to do. But that statement doesn't wipe out all the rest. What he said to Adam and Eve still is on on us, his people. What he said at at the Sermon on the Mount still applies to us. And this applies to us the answer to what's the mission of the church is multi-layered, but it at least includes these three things. And if you want my summary of that, if you put it all together, our mission involves care for the needy, being a blessing to others, bringing healing to bodies and minds and spirits, that in every sphere of life we operate... To could bring out the beauty of what's there and bring out the potential in the people. But at the centre of it is the restoration of individuals to a living relationship with God through Jesus. So we mustn't narrow, as you continue to grow, don't narrow mission simply to evangelism. Because you know what that does? That disenfranchises most of us because they're not really good at that. But it's n- that's at the very centre of bringing people to him. But serving in your workplace and in your co- places of study, serving your family, being a blessing to your community, in every sense, it should be good news. We shouldn't just share the good news. It should be good news. There's a Christian here. I've got Christian neighbours. This is good news. I've got a Christian colleague. It's good news. Because we're called to be that sort of blessing. In practice, it means you've got to be a community that prays, and I'll say a bit more about that. A community that celebrates creativity, which means church should not be boring. (laughs) I'm glad it wasn't boring this morning. Um, I don't know what it's like normally, but it wasn't boring this (laughs) morning. We need to think through how we can be further equipped to be a blessing to others. As a community, we should look out for those most in need and seek justice for the oppressed. But never lose sight that at the very centre of your passion is a concern to help others find God through Jesus. That means continuing to make sure that Sundays are an open and welcoming community. I, let me tell you a bad story about another church. Because I've been involved in training, lots of leaders know me. Do you like hearing bad stories about other people? <laughs> and I went to this church, I won't say where it is, and um, no. and uh, I, and we got there early, like most newcomers and preachers. They're they the people that often get there. early. Got, got there early, and the welcome team had their back to the door that I walked through. And they were just chatting amongst themselves. The football, yeah, yeah, yeah. How did that go? Yeah, yeah. And then suddenly they turned around and they saw me and recognised me. And it was like, oh, Mick, come in. And they showed us to the seed and got us coffee. But I noticed that very soon after us, some new people came in. You could tell they didn't know where to go and they were looking there. And they were ignored. I think I'm the last person you need to make a fuss of. I mean, I, I feel at home already. Whenever you come to church, look out for people that you've not seen before. Make a point of saying Hello. Invite them for coffee, whatever. And especially if they look really awkward, like they don't know what church is about, explain to them what's going to happen. But show that it's okay to be you to be here. Because that would show them what the gospel means. That God accepts them just as they are. And they will learn that he won't leave them as they are. So be welcoming. Uh, don't retreat into holy huddles or to a Christian ghetto. We need to equip each other to know why we believe what we believe and, and be able to explain that to other people. So all those conversations that I used to have and feel quite it's like ill-equipped at like the school gate, and people talk about all sorts of things, and you haven't, they won't listen to a sermon. Oh, you're talking about suffering. I can t- you're talking about sexual ethics. Oh, I've got a sermon on that. They don't want a sermon. They want a, 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 just something to say that says there's another way of viewing that. And usually what I find it happens to me sometimes, I'm sure what happens to you, you don't say anything because you don't know how to say it well. Right? And then you go away and feel bad. And then next time you have a conversation, you (laughs) say, oh, well, Mick feels the same way as me because I was silent. No, no, I don't. We've got to help each other to be equipped for those, what I call, the one-minute or shorter apologetic. There's another way of looking at that. Jesus makes a difference to me and I see that like this. We need to be equipped in that because it doesn't come very easily. And... We've got to think of different ways to effectively share the good news of Jesus. So it makes sense for them. And they can give them the point. There is a real decision to make about him and all that he offers. Brothers and sisters, you are on a mission. A mission bring beauty out of creation potential out of people you are called to be salt and light in the world and you are to make disciples don't narrow it down just to the center but don't be polo christians either you know with no center there are christian communities that are so involved in social action and caring for the poor and they never talk about a personal relationship with jesus that's polo They've got some things right and they've got the most important thing wrong. You're on a mission. And boy, just ordinary people can't do that. So if you feel a bit intimidated, that's good because you're in just the right place for the last point of the message. (laughs) It's not enough to know Jesus and have a good theology and to be a group of people that care for each other to fulfil anything like that mission. You've got to be spirit-filled. That means to be spirit-empowered, spirit-directed. You've got to be spirit-filled people, which is our inheritance in Christ. The great difference between being an Old Testament saint and a New Testament saint is caught in a few words, in actually different prepositions that Jesus used. So you wanted grammar, didn't you, this morning? In the upper room, Jesus, preparing the disciples for his departure, says, you know him, talking about the Holy Spirit, you know him. For he dwells with you. And he will be in you. The change from with to in is the difference between Old Testament experience of God and the New Testament experience of God. There was a promise of the Father. That, in a sense, you get growing anticipation throughout the Old Testament. One day, Messiah will come. And the spirit will be given to all God's people. And that happened on the day of Pentecost. We are called to be a spirit-filled community on mission. And that means it makes an enormous difference to our characters and our relationships. So Paul, yeah, can you imagine Paul, especially writing to the Corinthians, pulling his hair out, can't you? It's all like me- about messy church. That's a messy church. In 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 3, Paul writes, you are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? And he's not letting the, the ladies off there. It's like, aren't you just acting like ordinary human beings? And he's saying, you are not ordinary. You are not ordinary. Because you have the Spirit of God in you, you can't. Ex- we cannot excuse. Well, that is just human. Well, you're not just human. You've got the potential to be vastly different, significantly different to what you were. Because you are being given the Spirit. You're not just mere men and mere women. Later on in the same letter, Paul says, do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither neither the sexually immoral, or idolaters, or adulterers, or male prostitutes, or homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. That's most of us out. But then he has those wonderful words, and that is, what some of you were. Some of you were. The church is full of people, broken sinners. And if your particular sort of failing is not listed here, that's just because Paul wanted to save ink. However sinfulness comes out, such were some of us. But we were that. We're not that. That doesn't define us now. He said, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So, that's what you were. That's not what you are. The church should always be a place of compassion to the worst of sinners. But it should never be complacent about sin." Once you know him, you have the potential to change in ways that you've never had before. And that's the glorious good news. Compassionate, but not complacent. It changes being spirit-filled, changes our relationships and what we expect of each other and what we expect of ourselves. It changes our decision-making. The church is not to be guided by human Simply by human wisdom, wisdom, but to be submissive to the Scripture that the Spirit inspired and the Spirit helps us to understand. And we're to be responsive to his promptings in our lives. And as the leaders make decisions, as you make decisions of a church, you want to aim for ones that says it feels good to us and to the Holy Spirit. That's possible to know. It makes a difference being Spirit-filled in discipleship. We seek to cultivate Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Isn't it interesting, if you look at our celebrities, the people that have profile, the influencers, I don't think many of them are noticed for those characteristics. Arrogance, pride, self-promotion. You know, but we are to promote love, joy, peace, patience, kindness... Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. We're in a culture that doesn't really encourage much self-control. But we are. Because we're spirit-filled. And and being spirit-filled affects our worship. We should come to church with a growing expectation that God will speak to us. That our lives will be changed. That he will do things, some of them planned, some of them not planned. Some of them he gave us a hint of what he wanted to do and sometimes he just surprises us. We expect him to speak to us powerfully through the preaching of his word. We expect him to prompt pictures and images and scriptures to share and prompt us to pray. That's what it means to be spirit-filled. I am surprised that so often you can come to church and no one offers to pray for you. I think it should be as common as a hug or a smile or a handshake. Because how do you... What did Jesus say? Ask and keep on asking... Seek and keep on seeking, knock and keep on knocking. Won't the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Well, on a Sunday, don't you feel like you need more of Him? Well, then get someone to pray for you. Humble yourself and say, I need more of the Spirit in my life so that I can be this and so we can be a community, a unique type of community on this incredible mission because we're empowered and directed by the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, none of this is new to you, but in the midst of your, the excitement and all the challenges of change, don't forget who you are and what he's called you to do. Step into community, step up and take more responsibility. Step out in faith and allow God to continually fill you with his Holy Spirit. I'm done, amen.